Hello, 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 and welcome. I'm Frank to Tank Mark Seth. And I'm Tony Diagostino. And we are the Know It What a thrilling weekend we had in the NFL playoffs, and now we are down to two teams. The Denver Broncos defeated the New England Patriots by a score of 26-16 to win the AFC Championship. Payne Manning played great on Sunday, throwing for 400 yards and two touchdowns, but it was the Broncos' defense who came through in the clutch in this game. The Broncos' D held the Patriots to only 64 rushing yards. This is a big stat considering last week against the Colts, the Patriots had a total of 234 yards on the ground. Payne Manning seems to be a man on a mission and determined to win one last title and prove his critics wrong. Manning might have to retire in March, depending on what happens when he gets his neck evaluated. Tony, how did you feel about the game yesterday? I think New England was stoned all weekend. They came out <laughs> flat, terrible, played terrible football all game. Denver, on the other hand, executed flawlessly, unlike any other Peyton Manning team in the playoffs, and they deserve to be headed to MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New fucking Jersey. The Seattle Seahawks defeated the San Francisco 49ers by a score of 23-17 to win the NFC Championship. Russell Wilson had yet another average game and is doing just enough to get the job done and is rarely making mistakes. Wilson threw for 215 yards and one touchdown and no interceptions on Sunday. Colin Kaepernick did well on his feet, gaining 130 yards on 11 carries, but it was the early fumble and two key interceptions that he threw that proved very costly for the 49ers. There was a lot of tension between both teams throughout the game, and Richard Sherman exploded during a post-game interview and mentioned Michael Crabtree talking smack about the Seattle secondary all week. Tony, how did you feel about the game, and what did you think about the outburst by Sherman? What do you got for me? The game reminded me of... A battle at the Roman Coliseum, and it was fierce, brutal, bloody. Navarro Bowman's broken leg was disgusting. Um, I I don't know how many more games like this we'll see. This was old school football. This is the kind of football Roger Goodell hates. That's what kind of football this oh, was. Absolutely, he hates it. And as far as Richard Sherman goes, um. He is an interesting human being. He is very intelligent, but he doesn't show that on the field for some reason. And I couldn't tell you why. It's very strange to me. I don't know if we'll ever see another player like Richard Sherman. Do you agree, Frankie? You're right. I mean, he did have a 3.9 GPA and a master's degree at Stanford, but he doesn't act like it on the field. He really doesn't. And that makes the whole team look kind of bad to people who don't know the Seahawks and know these players off the field and all that. I agree. I agree. The Denver Broncos are taking on the Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 48 on February the 2nd at MetLife Stadium and like you said, East Rutherford, New Jersey. This is the second trip to the Super Bowl for the Seahawks and the seventh trip all-time for the Denver Broncos. Payne Manning is the third quarterback in NFL history to lead two teams to the Super Bowl. Denver has the best offense and Seattle has the best defense in the NFL, which makes this a very intriguing matchup. Richard Sherman said after Sunday's game that he is the best. And though I agree that he is the best cornerback in the NFL, 
he failed to realize that Denver has the best player in the world in Peyton Manning. And like the great wrestler Ric Flair used to say, to be the man, you have to beat the man. Woo! And once you beat the man, Richard Sherman, then you have room to gloat. I have Denver shutting him up once and for all. And the Broncos winning the Super Bowl by a score of 27 to 13. And I know for a fact that Peyton won't be talking about being the best because everybody already knows that. Tony, who's winning the Super Bowl? Well, Seattle's never seen an offense like Denver's ever. So that's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough task for them. I mean, the best offense they played this year was New Orleans. Correct, Frankie? Yeah, I agree. Um, and New Orleans doesn't even resemble Denver's offense. And that was in and their house. This time they're in a neutral field. Neutral site. All the way across the country. Yep, there won't be any Ann Wilson singing national anthems and stupid 12th man flags going up. And yeah. That's going to that's gonna make it hard on them because they're not going to have that advantage of the offense not being able to hear each other and all that. should be pretty interesting. I certainly can't wait. And now it's time to talk about the recently hired NFL head coaches. Mike Zimmer was hired as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings last week. The 57-year-old from Peoria, Illinois, is finally getting the shot that he so richly deserves. He has never been a head coach at any level, and more recently has been the Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator from 2008 to 2013. Zimmer is well-respected throughout the NFL and is one of the true good guys. It might take a few years, but I think he will turn it around for Minnesota. Tony, what do you got for me? Best new coach hire. Like you said, it took him forever to get a head gig. He's going to be hungry for success, Mark Seck. And he's been through some unique experiences in his NFL coaching career. Like you, you said, he uh, was with Cincinnati from 2008 to 2013. That's correct. He also spent six years in Dallas as defensive coordinator. And he was in Atlanta when Mike Vick went to jail and Bobby Petrino bailed midseason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also said he is a highly respected coach. I could agree with that. And... You could automatically put Minnesota's defense in the top half of the league off the bat. For a cross-sports analogy, I would liken his situation to Thibodeau's arrival in Chicago when he took a sub-500 Bulls team to 60 wins in just one season. The playmakers are there on offense, and Zimmer will do what he does best, which is defense. He also brings in North Turner as his offensive coordinator. Ken Wisenhunt became the new head coach at Tennessee last week. He was formerly the offensive coordinator for San Diego. Tony, what do you got for me about Ken Wisenhunt? This is a very good hire as well. He will make Tennessee competitive quickly. Although he didn't give Jake Locker a ringing endorsement, I think his mind will change between now and camp. This is an organization that has used first-rounders on a QB twice in the past 10 years. With Chris Johnson's return unlikely, they need a playmaker now, not a quarterback. Wisenhunt saved Phillip Rivers' career. Maybe he does the same for Locker. Jim Caldwell was named the head coach of the Detroit Lions last week. He had been the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens for the last two seasons. Caldwell had previous head coaching experience in the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts from 2009 to 2011 and compiled a 28-24 and record there. I think Caldwell is in a tough spot in Detroit, and I don't think he can resonate with the current players on the team, and I don't believe he will have success and will be fired in three years. Tony, thoughts? Worst new coach hire. Detroit fans will wish they still had Jim Schwartz and the fire in his belly. Caldwell is about as boring a coach as there is. He would even put Lovey Smith to sleep. That's all I got for Jim Caldwell. <laughs> Jay Gruden became the new head coach for the Washington Redskins last week. 
He was previously the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Tony, what do you got for me about Jay Gruden? Well, he's John Gruden's brother. (laughs) It's also well documented that Gruden isn't a fan of the read option. But Gruden, like all of us, is a fan of money. I expect his tenure to last a maximum of three years. It is now time for the College Corner with the one, the only, Frank Markusek. Hello, and I've got a lot of college basketball news for you this week, starting off with the top 10 rankings. Uh, Number 10, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Number 9, Wisconsin Badgers. Number 8, Kansas Jayhawks. Number 7, San Diego State Aztecs. Number 6, Florida Gators. Number 5, Villanova Wildcats. Number 4, Wichita State Shockers. Number 3, Michigan State Spartans. Number two, Syracuse Orange. And number one, yet again, the Arizona Wildcats. After waiting nearly an entire year, P.J. Hairston is guaranteed to finally be able to play organized basketball again. Hairston announced his intentions to head to the NBA's D-League last week, and on Tuesday, the Texas Legends made it official. The former North Carolina forward was ineligible to play college basketball this season in light of numerous transgressions in the spring and summer of 2013. Hairston was pulled over three times, twice while driving rental cars connected to an ex-convict. After the school opted not to present his case to the NCAA for eligibility in December, Hairston's season and career with UNC was over. He could have opted to stay on campus, remained enrolled in classes, and trained with the program until right before the 2014 NBA draft, but instead chose this path. Hairston will still be eligible to be selected by any team in June. My big man on campus this week is the seven-foot freshman from Cameroon, Joel Embiid, who is turning a lot of heads as of late while playing for the Kansas Jayhawks. He is averaging 11 points, 7.6 rebounds, and 2.9 blocks per game, and there is now talks that he could be a possible number one pick in the 2014 NBA draft. There is a lot of upside on this kid, and I compare his style to another number one pick, Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans. Even if he's not taken number one, he can help out any team out there that is in need of a big man. My game of the week is between Colorado and Arizona on January the 23rd. Colorado has been a surprise this year in college basketball and has been a top 25 team for the last few weeks. Sophomore power forward Josh Scott has been the rock for the Buffaloes and is averaging 14.3 points and 9.1 rebounds per game. Arizona is 18-0 and is off to their best start in school history. The Pac-12 is, in my opinion, the weakest major conference in college basketball this year, and the Wildcats might not lose another game heading into the big dance in March. I think this could be their toughest test in the conference, and I see Arizona winning a close game, 81-74, to and continuing their dominance in the Pac-12. And that was the College Corner with the one, the only, Frank Markersack. And now it's time for What's Your Fantasy First up, we got some uh, fantasy basketball for you. Some waiver wire gems. Randy Foy, double-digit points in his last 10 games. Alec Burks, filling in for an injured Gordon Hayward. He's been impressive. John Henson, North Carolina's finest, recently returned from injury and is back in the starting lineup. DJ Augustine, posting consistent point guard numbers for the depleted dilapidated Chicago Bulls. Players to watch. El Farouk Amino. What do you think about El Farouk Amino, Frankie? You know anything about him? 
I really don't know much about him. Maybe you'll tell me something. Well, let me tell you something about him. He's going to see ample playing time with the unknown status of Ryan Anderson, um, another player to keep your eyes on. He's a very inconsistent one. Enos Cantor, three double-doubles in his past seven games. Has he finally seen the light? Time will tell. Ramon Sessions. Yes, that Ramon Sessions will replace an injured Kemba Walker in the starting lineup for the Charlotte Hornets. I mean Bobcats. I mean Hornets. Doesn't matter. It doesn't. Kelly Olnick put up 25 points, 33 minutes, but doesn't see consistent time. Could change when he does. What do you think, Frankie? You think Kelly Olnick's got some potential? I mean, he did do very well at Gonzaga his last year, but that's Gonzaga, and this is where the big boys play in the NBA. He needs to add a little muscle to his frame, huh? I agree. Yeah. Maybe get a haircut. Yeah, that too. Um, moving on to fantasy hockey, some forwards to take a look at. Ryan Clough recently returned from a concussion. He has two goals and seven assists in his past seven games. Cam Atkinson of the Columbus Blue Jackets has five goals his past six games. Andrew Cogliano of the Anaheim Ducks has five points in his past seven games. Cody Hodgson of the lowly Buffalo Sabres recently returned from injury and has two goals, three assists in his past four games. Some defensemen to uh, throw your eyes at. Alexander Edler of the Vancouver Canucks, he's their top defenseman, and he just came back from injury. He has potential to put up some nice offensive numbers. Andre Mezaros has 10 points in his last 10 games. Hard to find that kind of production in defenders this season. Christian Erhoff, also of the lowly Buffalo Sabres, has four points in his last four games, yet he logs tons of ice time with Buffalo. A goalie to uh, possibly add, I'm not sure on Josh Harding's status, but this guy's been filling in for him, and he's won three of his last four. He is Darcy Kemper. Keep your eye on him, ladies and gentlemen. And that was What's Your Fantasy with Tony D'Agostino. And now it's time for some NHL talk. The Anaheim Ducks have won 19 of the last 21 games, and it doesn't look like they will stop streaking anytime soon. Center Ryan Getzloff and right winger Corey Perry have been the consistent forces in the Ducks' offense and have 58 and 55 points respectively. Goalie Jonas Hiller has 23 wins, a 2.37 goals against average, and a .914 save percentage. Anaheim hasn't lost a game at home this season in regulation. I think the Ducks can be a number one seed in the Western Conference, but that doesn't automatically transition into winning a cup. The NHL playoffs are the most unpredictable in all of sports, and I only see them winning around at most come playoff time. Tony, can Anaheim be stopped, and is Jonas Hiller the best goalie in the NHL right now? Let me remind you that the Anaheim Ducks played this way last year as well. Thankfully, titles aren't won in January or February. Besides the Blackhawks last year, Anaheim was the hottest team. However, they lost in Game 7 of the first round to Detroit. So to answer your question, Frankie, yes, they can be stopped. It's just not going to happen until the middle of April. In my opinion, they don't have enough firepower to win a seven-game series. They had to trade Bobby Ryan because Perry and Getzloff account for roughly 27% of their payroll. That leaves little money to add excellent complementary players forcing them to lean heavily on their farm system. That being said, they have a good amount of raw talent, but lack of experience often produces mixed results in the playoffs. More often than not, the difference between a cup and a first-round exit is usually rock-solid third and fourth lines. I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen the unlikeliest of players become heroes in the NHL playoffs, and I think Anaheim hasn't had those kind of players since they last won the cup in 2007. As far as Jonas Hill is concerned, Frankie, up until Friday he had won 14 straight decisions, Good for second all-time, 
but goalies are strange creatures, comparable to starting pitchers in baseball. So it's hard to say who's the absolute best, but I don't believe it to be Hiller. Yamir Yager is a right winger for the New Jersey Devils, and he is having a great year. Yager, who will be turning 42 on February the 15th, has 15 goals, 24 assists, and has a plus 16 plus minus rating. Obviously, he is a shell of his former dominant self, but how do you think Yager is doing given his age? Hockey players always play well into their 40s. There's been a great history of many of them. I wouldn't call it a resurgence either because he's never really had a down season in his entire 20-plus year career. However, Frankie, he has been extremely productive this season, which is kind of a surprise to many people. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. I would agree. Definitely would agree. I would say that the New York, New York Islanders have been a disappointment this season. The Islanders were the eighth seed last season and made a lot of noise in the playoffs. This year, they are the third worst team in the Eastern Conference. Center John Tavares is the only player keeping this team from being the absolute worst and is playing phenomenal hockey, getting 22 goals and 36 assists. The Islanders have dug themselves in too big of a hole to get out of, and I don't think they're going to be in the playoff hunt this season. Tony, who's your disappointments? Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. As far as the Islanders, they made the playoffs an accident last year, Frankie. They're not a very good team. My disappointing teams, the Washington Capitals, um, as you know, they have Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom. They have some good players, yet they are near the bottom of their conference. I don't know why, but I do believe goaltending has a little bit to do with that. They score a lot of goals, but they give up twice as many. Another team that's a disappointment, Frankie, the Detroit Red Wings. Everyone thought them moving to the Eastern Conference was going to, I don't know, maybe get them a first, second, third seed possibly. They're not even in the playoff picture right now. They've had a lot of injuries, though. So if there's one team that could turn this season around, it's them. The Edmonton Oilers, how many number one picks do they need to get the eighth seed in the playoffs? They've had four the last four years. Number one overall picks, Frankie. That's unbelievable to me. That's unbelievable. And they still can't even get above 500. They've switched coaches I don't know how many times in the past 10 years. It's ridiculous. The Carolina Hurricanes, my last disappointing team, um, they're still in the playoff chase, but they have underachieved so far. they got a couple high-priced players, and, they're, and they are just not performing. And don't you got something about surprise teams? Who's your surprise oh, I team, I certainly Frankie? do. I certainly do. I got the Tampa Bay Lightning being a pleasant surprise. They have 63 points and are third in the Eastern Conference right now. Right winger Martin St. Louis has been very good yet again, garnering 25 goals and 25 assists this season. Steven Stamkos, who hasn't played in a game since November 11th, will be back from an ACL injury hopefully in the next few weeks and is the Lightning's best player. Goalie Ben Bishop has been a force behind the net and is 24-6-4 with a one point. goals against average and a staggering 93.5% save percentage. Look for them to continue to open up a can of whoop-ass on the NHL and could very well be in the Stanley Cup this year. Tony, your surprise teams? I got um, the Columbus Blue Jackets. I believe they've won four in a row. Um, I don't think many people expected them to finish out of last place. They're in the playoff hunt right now. Um, They also switched the Eastern Conference this year. And they have a lot of good young talent. They need to get Marion Gabrick back, and then they will dominate. And I could see them making the playoffs this year, actually. And everyone knows their goalie as well, Sergei Bobrovsky. He's a phenomenal goalie. Um, That could be a a dangerous team come playoff time, in my opinion. Uh, My other surprising team is the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I don't think anyone expected them to 
take the NHL by storm like they have. I think people expected them to be decent, and people expected Patrick Waugh to be decent, but he's exceeded expectations. I mean, they were the second-worst team in the NHL last season. They were, yes. And now they're fifth in the Western Conference. And that all has to do with goaltending. Varlamov is a Vesna Trophy candidate at this point. I would agree with you 100%. Now it's time for the top 10 rankings of the NHL this week. And like it is usually with rankings with me and my co-hosts here, we never agree on anything. Number 10, Minnesota Wild. Number 9, Los Angeles Kings. Number 8, Boston Bruins. Number 7, Tampa Bay Lightning. Number 6, San Jose Sharks. Number 5, Colorado Avalanche. Number 4, St. Louis Blues. Number 3, Pittsburgh Penguins. Number 2, Anaheim Ducks. And the number 1 team, in my opinion, the Chicago Blackhawks. Tony, what do you got for uh, My top 10 is Montreal Canadiens at number 10. The Tampa Bay Lightning at number 9. The Los Angeles Kings at number 8. Number 7, the Boston Bruins. Number 6, the Colorado Avalanche. Number 5, the San Jose Sharks. Number 4, the Blues of St. Louis. Number 3, the Ducks of Anaheim. Number 2, the Penguins of Pittsburgh. And number 1, our very own Chicago Blackhawks. And now it's time for NBA news. Let's start off with, on January 17th, Rajon Rondo returned to the Boston Celtics after being out of basketball for almost a year with an ACL injury. He is a vital part of the Celtics team, and most people would say he is the current franchise player and a consistent double-double guy in points and assists. The Celtics have lost 14 of the last 16 games, and Tony, I have to ask, will Rondo make an immediate impact for the Celtics, or will it take some time? Um, if history tells us anything, Frankie... The answer is an obvious one. It's going to take time. It's going to take a long time for him to get the rust off and get back to the feeling of game action. As we saw with Derrick Rose, what did we see with Derrick Rose? Hesitation, right? Oh, of course. Rondo's fearless. Rondo ain't going to be like that. Rondo doesn't play the same style of Derrick Rose, so I don't think it will take as long for Rondo to get back into it. But we'll see. What I want to, what I want to ask you before we move on, Frankie? How is this going to affect Boston? Does this make them a playoff team? The Eastern Conference is pretty terrible. And I think Boston is around 12th in the Eastern Conference right now. So say he's starting to really feel like himself by middle of February. Do they have a chance at the playoffs? They do have a chance. They do have a chance. A slim one, but they do have a chance. Rondo, I expect him to perform at his normal level, even with the lack of talent that is now on the Celtics. Would you agree? I would agree. I would agree. The Toronto Raptors are now the number three seed in the Eastern Conference and have shocked everyone with how successful they have been, even with getting rid of Rudy Gay via trade of the Sacramento Kings. DeMar DeRozan is having one hell of a season for the Raptors, averaging 21.2 points, 3.8 assists, and 4.6 rebounds per game. Kyle Lowry has also been an important factor to Toronto's success, averaging 16.3 points, 4.1 rebounds, 7.4 assists, and 1.6 steals per game. Tony, what the fuck is happening in Toronto, and will it last for the rest of the season? What's happening in Toronto is that Rudy Gay no longer needs dual citizenship, and Kyle Lowry's playing like a top-five point guard. Team basketball is a beautiful thing, Frankie, and they are playing it for the first time in their existence. Not to mention, they are also playing shutdown defense, which is enough to get by in the putrid Eastern Conference. Yes, this will continue, and they will make the playoffs. 
After everything that has happened in the Chicago Bulls, whether it was injuries or trades, they are somehow the number six seed in the East. Chicago is 7-2 and two in their last nine games, and it seems like everyone on the team has stepped up their game, whether it's DJ Augustine, Tony Snell, Jimmy Butler, Mike Dunleavy, or Joe Kim Noah. Could you attest this to Tom Thibodeau being a great coach, or is the Eastern Conference just that bad? Yeah, Thibodeau is a great coach, a great defensive coach, not a great head coach. We'll get into that in a later at a later date. And yes, Frankie, the East is as bad as the Bulls roster. That's why the NBA in its current state is the most lopsided watered down professional sports league in existence. It's also the WWE with better acting, but about the same amount of fixes, according to Tim Donaghy, anyways. Surprise, surprise, LeBron James is leading in all-star voting with almost 1,100,000 votes. If the voting ended today, this is what the starting lineups would look like. LeBron James, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and Kyrie Irving for the Eastern Conference, and Kevin Durant, Dwight Howard, Blake Griffin, Kobe Bryant, and Stephen Curry for the Western Conference. I'm disappointed that the fans haven't given enough love to John Wall, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Chris Paul so far, because even though they would all make the all-star team right now, they aren't starters and should be because all three have deserved it. Tony, what's your top 10 rankings for the NBA this week? But, uh, before we go on to that, I want to tell you something that really chaps my ass about that all-star voting process. Why is Kobe Bryant in there? Why is he eligible to be voted for? And why is Derrick Rose eligible? Yeah, why? The NBA has to change that. They're, they're, the, the coaches, it, they should do it like baseball. You know, the, the coaches should have a say in who gets picked. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. I don't understand this fan voting. I mean, they vote guys in that are injured. That, that doesn't make sense to me. Derrick Rose is currently third in the East in the backcourt. How is that possible? I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't get that. But moving on to our top ten, Frankie, what's your top ten? My top 10 uh, goes something like this. Dallas Mavericks at number 10. Number 9, Toronto Raptors. Number 8, Houston Rockets. Number 7, Golden State Warriors. Number 6, Los Angeles Clippers. Number 5, Oklahoma City Thunder. Number 4, Miami Heat. Number 3, San Antonio Spurs. Number 2, Portland Trailblazers. And my number 1 team yet again this week, the Indiana Pacers. Tony, what do you got for me? Uh, Number 10, I got the Dallas Mavericks. Number 9, the Phoenix Suns. Number 8, the Memphis Grizzlies, number seven, the Los Angeles Clippers, number six, the Golden State Warriors, number five, your reigning champs, the Miami Heat, number four, San Antonio Spurs, number three, the Thunder of Oklahoma City, number two, the Portland Trailblazers, and number one, the Pacers of Indiana. And that was NBA News. And now it's time for our newest segment, as you heard it last week, Back in the Day, where we go back and explore important sporting events for the day of January 20th. Frankie? On this day in 1892, the first official basketball game was played by students at the Springfield, Massachusetts YMCA School. On this day in 1980, President Jimmy Carter announces that the U.S. will boycott the Summer Olympics in Moscow. On this day in 1985, Super Bowl 19 happened, and the 49ers beat the Miami Dolphins 38-16. And the Super Bowl MVP of that game, Joe Montana. On this day in 2002, Michael Jordan played his first game in Chicago as a visiting player. The game absolutely sucked, but the Wizards did beat the Bulls 77-69. And that was back in the day. And now it's time for our last segment of the show... The final say. Tony, what's your final say this week? 
Well, first, I want to say happy birthday to Ray Carruth, Rich Gannon, Mark Stepnowski, Eddie Kinnison, Nick Foles, David Eckstein, Giovanni Soto, Ozzie Gian, Jalen Rose, your boy Nick Anderson, and Ron Harper. My quote of the week goes to Denver Broncos wide receiver Wes Welker when he said, it's like comparing Picasso and Michelangelo. It's hard to compare the two when asked about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. From the random reel, we have um, a story out of Seattle where a low-class Seahawks fan threw food at Navarro Bowman while he was being carted off the field yesterday, further proving why they are the worst fans in sports. Um, there will also be a historic record-breaking 98 underclassmen in the 2014 NFL Draft, Frankie. Wow. Um, the Chicago Bulls are the eighth team in NBA history to play two triple overtime games in the same season. And as of right now, Brent Musburger will not be back announcing college football. For the ESPN ABC Networks, Chris Fowler will be his replacement. Musburger was offered a job as lead announcer for ESPN's new SEC Network, but is unhappy with his situation and most likely will not take the job. And with the Winter Olympics on the horizon, I wanted to bring up Ilya Kolchuk, the phenomenal ex-devil and thrasher who averaged over a point per game in his 11-year career. His sudden exit from the NHL was bizarre, but not as bizarre as a 17-year deal he signed with New Jersey in 2010. As we know, the Devils exploited a loophole in the CBA and were eventually punished, forcing Kolchuk to sign another contract. Three years later, he walked away from the 12 years and $77 million left on his deal. He wanted to return home to Russia and play in the KHL, a league he took a liking to during the NHL lockout last year. He wanted to be able to raise his kids, and you can't fault a guy for that. It's an uphill battle finding athletes who are that selfless, but there seems to be an abundance of them in the hockey world. Kovalchuk will make only $10 million over four years in the KHL. He would have made that much in the NHL this season alone, Frankie. I respect him for having the guts to walk away from the NHL in the middle of his prime. On the other hand, it makes me wonder if the KHL becomes the WCW to the NHL's WWE. During the lockout last year, a lot of top NHLers went to play in the KHL, and Vladimir Putin even offered big money for all of them to remain in the league, which was believed to be a leverage play to ensure that the NHL lets its players compete in the Olympics. If another lockout occurs in the next decade or so, you can very well throw around the idea of the KHL becoming a stiff competitor to the NHL. I'm Tony Diagostino, and that's my final say. Last week, pitcher Clayton Kershaw just got a seven-year contract worth $215 million from the Los Angeles Dodgers. The average annual value of $30.7 million was also the largest ever for a baseball player, beating the $28 million Roger Clemens received in 2007 and the 10-year $275 million contract that Alex Rodriguez signed that same year. Kershaw is no doubt the best starting pitcher in the majors and deserves the money that he gets because he does produce time and time and time again. Clayton is 51-23 and 23 with a 2.2 ERA and 709 strikeouts in his last three years. He's only 25 years old, is on one hell of a great team, and I think he will continue to produce monster numbers for years to come. Dennis Rodman announced that he will be going into an alcohol rehab due to his drunken behavior during his trip to North Korea a few weeks ago. This isn't the first time that Rodman has been to right rehab, and it hasn't been disclosed how many times he actually has gone. But what I'm wondering is how long will the worm be in rehab and when he will be taking his next drink, because I don't believe Rodman is capable of being sober. Not only... 
is Payne Manning heading into his third Super Bowl, but he made $24,800 for his charity, the Payback Foundation, during the AFC Championship game. Eight businesses will donate the money after they committed to donate a combined $800 for each time he said the word Omaha at the line of scrimmage. Manning said Omaha 31 times during the game on Sunday. David G. Brown, who is the man that has led this effort, is the president and CEO of the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce and says he expects the program to now continue on to the Super Bowl, with each Omaha that Manning utters being worth more money since more Omaha businesses will participate. Who knew that screaming a Nebraska town during an NFL game could do so much for a city and a charity? That's ridiculous. I'm Frank the Tank Mark Sack, and he's Tony D'Agostino. We are the know-it-alls, and we're out. And we'll see you in two weeks. Peace. <laughs>